Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. All right, I'm going to go ahead and dive into the Word today. I'm sure you're waiting. In the book of Acts chapter 1, the apostles had just experienced a horrific thing that happened in their life. Probably the most horrific thing that had ever happened in the history of the world to that point, and that was the death, the crucifixion death of our Savior, the one that they were following, the one that they were learning from, the one that was promising the coming kingdom. In Acts chapter 2, we saw the fulfillment of the the promise that Jesus gave them. We saw the message had come. We saw that the promise, when he said, go into Jerusalem and wait and tarry there and pray until you be endued with power from on high. We saw in Acts chapter 2, that explosive return of Jesus Christ in the form of the Holy Ghost as he filled those apostles and gave them strength and courage, but he gave them the message. He gave them the mission, what they were supposed to be doing moving forward. And in Acts chapter three, there's a place there where two wonderful apostles full of the Holy Ghost and courage and bravery and strength are walking in to the temple, the gate beautiful, and they encounter a man who's sitting there, who'd been there for years, crippled in his legs, begging for alms. And Peter, full of the Holy Ghost, looked at that man and said, silver and gold have I none, but that which I have I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Just like that. And the Bible said that they took him by the hands, by the arms and lifted him up and his legs were straightened out. So much so that they were fully strengthened and he went shouting and dancing into the temple. Do you know that at that time, The people were marveled, and Peter began to preach again for the second time. He got good at this, by the way. In Acts chapter 2, if you remember, just before the explosion, or just after the explosion of the Holy Ghost, and he was being challenged by the Jews that were watching, asking him, what's going on? What did Peter do? He He preached the baptism message. He preached the salvation message. But before he did that, he said, yeah, you guys, you crucified the Son of God, the living Christ. He put guilt on them. They were pricked in their hearts. That was the first time. The second time was in Acts chapter 3 when they saw that lame man who they all knew was lame. He'd been at the gate beautiful for years. And so they saw that. They knew who this was and they were marveling. What's going on here? First of all, it was a Sabbath. Second of all, there's no way this man could be walking. And so what did Peter do? He began to preach again and he did the same thing. See, this man was healed by the guy you crucified. You murdered the Son of God, the living Christ, the Jesus of Nazareth. And he said it for a second time. But after that moment, just like on Pentecost, on Acts chapter 2, where 3,000 were saved, you know that in Acts chapter 3, another 5,000 souls were saved because of what they did for that lame man. The message was in action. Now, if you roll into Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to take you there now, so if you want to go to Acts chapter 4... We're in Acts chapter 4, and because of what had happened with the lame man, the Sadducees and the bad guys, you know, the leaders of the time, didn't like this. And they didn't like the fact that he was preaching Christ resurrected, that went against everything that the Sadducees and the Pharisees wanted to hear. They didn't want their power taken away. They didn't want some other God to replace what they had in place. And so Peter and John are taken into custody. Because of what they had done, because of the message. 
We live in a world today where we have been bombarded by the enemy's message. I'm so sick and tired of seeing yard signs. I don't want to see another yard sign. I don't want to see another commercial about anything to do with elections. We have been barded continuously with their message, their message, their message. This is what we're going to do about health care. This is what we're going to do about Social Security. This is what we're going to do about this and about that and about this and about that. Their message dominates the airwaves. It dominates the conversations of people that we deal with. It dominates the thoughts and the hearts of the people that we're trying to reach. Their message, their message, their message is constantly out there. Well, you know what? That stuff is about to be done. And frankly, I don't care which way it goes. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it's our time. It's our time for our message. And I want to preach to you today about our message. The Sadducees had pulled Peter and John in, were basically accusing them and calling them down for preaching this resurrection of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 4 threatening them, uh, Annas and, and uh, Caiaphas, the high priests, and they were challenging them because they didn't like what they were preaching. They didn't like the message. You know something? There's a lot of people out there today that don't like our message. They don't want our message to get out. We're streaming right now on YouTube and Facebook. I wonder how much longer that's going to last. Jesus, 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 Jesus. I'm getting in as many as I can before they shut us down. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what God allows and what God doesn't. But they don't like our message because our message is a message of hope. Our message is a message of dependence on a great and powerful God that can take a lame man broken who had never been able to walk for years begging for alms for the scraps and we could take him by the hands and lift him up and watch his legs be made whole and stand up and walk and dance and shout. See, that message doesn't match up with their message. We're going to fix it with health care. We're going to fix it with government. We're going to fix it with rules and regulations. We're going to protect you and confine you and tell you how to live and how to operate and what to do. That's, the mess. That's their message. They don't want to hear a message of liberty and freedom and power and glory that comes from working, excuse me, serving and living and loving this God that we serve. Yes, I'm talking about Jesus. One more. They stood before these Sadducees, these leaders, and what did Peter do for a third time? He did it again. He looked at them and he preached to them, you killed Jesus. You took our Savior. You killed the Son of God. He was so bold. He, he, he was completely different from the Jesus who denied Christ three times on the night of the crucifixion. He was full of the Holy Ghost and bold and powerful but he was full of the message. He knew what the message was. He taught it on Acts chapter two, that salvation message, and they were continuing to teach it. Let's go to Acts chapter four. I'm gonna start, I'm gonna bounce a little bit through four because it's a long chapter, but I'm gonna get to the point. You can go back and read it later. I encourage you to do so. Acts chapter four, starting at verse seven, says it this way. It says, and when they had, had set them in the midst, now this is talking about the high priests and the Sadducees. When they had set them, Peter and John, in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Isn't that significant that they'd say name, right? Because 
again, understanding at that time, you did things in the name of the emperor, in the name of this, in the name of that. It was an authority thing that they were asking. By what name or by what authority do you have the right to go and preach this message, this, this counterintuitive, this counter-Sadducee message that you're preaching? By what name have you done this? And verse 8, then Peter, what does it say? Filled with the Holy Ghost. Was it all around him warm and fuzzy? Did he get it uh, just because he'd walked by the temple? Was he just experiencing just a, a wonderful feeling of God? No, he was filled with with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, talking about the crippled man at, 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 at the gate beautiful, by what means he is made whole? Now verse 10, listen. In other words, he's challenging about why he's asking about this man. But look at verse 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. See, that's the message. The people that we're reaching, the people that we're reaching out to, just like when someone reached out to us, when we were a broken mess, when we had lived life the way we wanted to live it, not knowing God, not knowing his principles, when somebody reached out to us, we were the man at the gate beautiful. We were crippled in our hearts and in our spirits, maybe not physically, maybe not in our bodies, but in our spirits and where we were in life, headed, destined for a hell for sure. When someone reached out to us and said, silver and gold have I none, that which I have I given to thee. They gave us the message. They lifted us up by the arms and we became whole. You see, that's the message that they don't want. They don't want that message out there, but that's our message and it's time for our message. Look what he says as he goes on in verse 11. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus. We're prayed over in the name of Jesus. We are baptized in the name of Jesus. No place in Scripture, no place in Scripture was one human being ever baptized in anything else but in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, and so on and so on. I can go back and quote them for you. Why? Because the power and the authority is in the name. That's the message. That's what got that man to stand up. That's what made his legs whole. When someone came and talked to you and found you in the place that you were, when you were broken and lame, when you were the impotent man or woman, they spoke over you the name of Jesus and made you whole. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Simple, pure, plain, direct. It's my favorite scripture, by the way, if you didn't know that. They didn't want that message. They didn't want to hear that message. But that's the message. In the name of Jesus. That's our message. It's our time. You want to put up a yard sign in your yard? Put that on it. Put the name of Jesus on it. Let's jump down to verse 18. So he had preached this to them. Of course, they're not real happy about it at the time. And, and, and he told them, you crucified Jesus. 
Verse 18, and they called them and commanded them not to speak all nor teach in the name of Jesus. How long will it be? I wonder. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. He looked them right in the face and he basically said, so let me, let me, let me get this right. You're asking me to do it over what God has told me to do. Are you prepared today to do what God is telling you to do? Are you prepared today to make that judgment? Should you listen to the laws of man? Should you listen for convenience, for comfort's sake, not to overturn the apple cart? Should we listen to man or should we listen to God? Because he basically told him, you judge, you tell me. Do I listen to you or do I listen to God? That's what he was saying. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard, he says in verse 20. How many of you here have seen and heard it? Do you really have to have much else? Is there any more training or teaching? Is there any more services you need to attend? Have you not seen enough at this point? Have you not witnessed it right before your eyes? Who here can throw a hand in the air and say, I've had a healing in my life that was absolutely miraculous? Or someone that I know? Four people, all right. Well, the four of you and I will talk later. Oh, five, five or six. Okay, okay, we got some more. Sister, okay. Being facetious. Jump down to verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Listen to Peter praying now. Listen to what he says. Lord, behold their threatenings. He knows. They're telling him, don't do it. Don't go back out there and preach Jesus. Don't put your message out there. You stay with our message. You stay wrapped up in politics. You stay wrapped up in social security and and. and and, and, and wartime uh, uh, funding and, and taxes and all that. So you stay wrapped up in that message. You go talk to your friends at work and you sit around and you talk about all those things that have to do with government and all that stuff. But stay away from that message. Don't do that. And he's praying and he knows he's being threatened. He says, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy, thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common." Look at verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. Do you understand what happened there? Peter, facing certain imprisonment, maybe even death, for preaching this message, stood up and he said, no, I'm not going to preach your message anymore. I'm not going to be about that message. I've got the message. I know what it is. I witnessed it. I saw the signs and wonders. I've got enough that I could tell you for the rest of my life. I've got example after example of example. I've seen broken hearts healed at this altar. I've seen marriages come together at this altar. I've seen people healed. My own child was set to be certain death and 
God healed him as an infant. My daughter was set for a cancer in her body and God took it out. I'm telling you, you've got enough stories. You've got enough testimony. You don't need any more message. That's our message. Today's the day and it's our time for our message. The world is pushing hard against the church right now. I'm going to tell you this, I'm going to say it out loud, and this recording is going to come back probably to haunt me, but God gave Peter great grace when he prayed this. The mainstream media and elements of government will continue to oppose the church in every way they can moving forward. Don't listen to their message. Don't buy into their message, and certainly do not allow fear to step in. Have the boldness of Peter and John to stand there and say, Which message do you think I should? The one you're telling me or the one that God has directed me to do? Because our message comes from him. I'm sorry if it upsets some to hear this come from this pulpit. But the media in this country is an enemy of the state and it's an enemy of the church. And if you don't know that now, this is reality. We've been talking about it in in the ether a little bit here and there every year. For years we've been talking about this. It is blatant, it is out there, it is open, and it is there for you to see. So what? Because when Peter prayed, God gave them great grace, which means he protected them and covered them as they continued to move forward. It's time to declare God's message like never before. We are apostolic, and we need to come with a Pentecostal expectation, because that's what was happening here. This was after the day of Pentecost. They were full of the Holy Ghost and power. Every one of you in this room that has the Holy Ghost living inside them has the same courage and bravery and message inside them that Peter and John had on this very day. Come with expectations and expect God to do awesome things with you. When Peter was standing there in that boldness, do you think he was in his mind? He was going, oh boy, I hope this is right. Mm -mm. He saw it happen before him. He saw the miracles. He saw what God did on Pentecost. He preached the message. Three times he looked at leaders in the face and said, you crucified the son of the living God. He put it back on them boldly. They could have killed him. Each one of those situations, he could have been taken and killed. But because of the message and the anointing that he got, it pricked them in their hearts. Sadducees didn't know what to do. What could they say? Here's the lame man. He's standing there. He's not broken anymore. What are going to people say about your testimony, about the person you brought, the person you prayed for, the testimony in your situation? You see, they can refute the word all they want. They can talk about doctrines and the way you misinterpret this and misinterpret that and how you read the word. They can talk about that all they want, but they can't take your testimony. They can't take away what you have seen. They can't take away that lame man who's standing there and jumping up and down and praising God in the temple. And neither could the Sadducees. They couldn't do anything about it. And so they couldn't take Peter. I think it's important for us to remember what the word says about our relationship to God. We're a royal priesthood. We're his children. The Bible says that we're the sons and daughters of God. Look at Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 14. I'll let you turn there. This is Paul writing to the Christians in Rome that were established in the book of Acts. By the way, except for the book of Colossians, 
or the people of Colossians, every one of those Acts churches or those New Testament churches were founded under this great Pentecostal message from Acts chapter 2 moving on through the book. They were founded in the book of Acts under this message, our message. Every one of them, except for Colossians, and Paul never went there, but they were saved later. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 14, says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Understand that we are not to be in bondage of fear. Whatever's going on in the world around us, whatever we see that's happening, rise above it. Understand that you are the sons and daughters of God. That is not your message, and you are not to succumb to a spirit of bondage and fear. We've escaped that. We've broken those bonds. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You know what that means, Abba, Father? That is such a term of endearment. It literally means he's our daddy. That's how close we are to God. Are you understanding now? You're the sons and daughters of God. Are you getting it? God Almighty is calling you because you're led by his spirit. You're his child. And we can cry out to him, Abba, Father, just like a child crawling into the lap of his dad who's been injured or her dad and crying out, Dad, 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 I got hurt. Or Dad, I need you. That's what that means. That's how close we are to him and how he sees us. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Right? It's going to get tough. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be tough to stare in the face of the Sadducees and declare our message. He didn't say it was going to be easy. As a matter of fact, he said we'd be persecuted for his name. It's coming. But he said, blessed are you when men shall revile you for my name's sake. You remember that. Every reviling comment, everything that comes against you, every, every challenge that you face out there in declaring this message, say, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Look them at the face as they're challenging you and they're mocking you and they're talking about, I told you about the guy that told me when I was talking about Jesus, he said, I had imaginary friends when I was a kid too. And I said, that's okay. He's real in my life. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Oh, are you mocking me for what I stand for? Oh, are you calling me down for being a Christian? Oh, it's out there. Just listen. All you got to do is listen just a little bit. Celebrities and, and TV personalities and these radio show guys and, and, and people on the news are mocking, openly mocking Christians for what they believe. It's going to break wide open not too long, I'm telling you. But every time you hear it, that's a blessing. Thank you for the blessing. Verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, listen to this now, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Whatever we can go through, whatever the challenge is going to be for us moving forward, to carry this message, our message, whatever challenge we face is not even close to being worthy of the reward that's waiting for us. John 1 and 12, but... As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Paul says it to the Galatians in 3 and 26, for ye are the ch all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. See the relationship? See the protection and the covering? Give God a chance to bless you in all that you do for him with expectations. 
We will not compromise true doctrine for the sake of convenience. Say it. We will not compromise true doctrine for the sake of convenience. We will not compromise truth to satisfy the prevailing culture. We will call sin a sin, but we will love those that need God just as you and I needed him when we were in sin. We will not back down. We will not change the story. We will not get away from the word. We will share our message. We will not go to the world looking for ways to grow our church and to reach our community with the gospel. The book of Isaiah specifically says in the 31st chapter, woe unto those who go to Egypt for help. No, 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 no. I don't want what Egypt has to help us be successful here. I want God and what he's got for us to do. We're going to preach the whole word to the whole world. We don't leave out anything. You need to know that people are hungry for truth. And I think it's helpful to put that into your forefront in your mind. Now they shroud it with stuff of the world and the cares of the world and challenges. No, I don't want that religious stuff and blah, blah, blah. But deep inside, they were all created by the same creator that you and I were created. You understand that every human being that ever existed was, was built, was designed and built with something inside them that caused them to desperately seek truth to seek that higher power. Do you know that every civilization that has ever existed in recorded history, there is some facet to that society in every civilization that is some form of higher power worship. Every civilization, the Incas and the Mayans and the Toltecs and the Eastern religions and and all over the world, everywhere they excavate, there's some form of God worship. Do you know why? Because the creator built it within us to want to know him, to want to know truth. And so every human being you encounter, even the worst of the worst, have something built inside them that says, I want to know truth. And when they begin to hear it, when you do what Peter and John did, full of the Holy Ghost, and you're giving that message, that's the truth that God designed for them to receive. And if you come with expectations, and you know that they were built that way, and you know that that thing is inside them, expect them to receive it. Are they going to do it every time? Of course not. The parable of the sower has four different versions of seed that was thrown on the ground. Three of them fail. Think about that. 75% of the seed cast into the soil fails. But that shouldn't stop you because when Peter and John did it, 5,000 more souls were saved. Maybe there were 20,000 people there that day. Maybe more. But you see my point? Never stop. Never stop working. Never stop. Never stop working. He's working. He never stops. He's always working. We don't feel it. He's working. We don't see it. He's working. But that's our message. Never stop. John 17, 17 says, thy word is truth. He's talking about the word. Jesus is talking about the word that he gave the apostles. He's looking at them and he's saying, my dear apostles, thy word is truth. Sanctify them with thy truth. People are hungry for that truth. Understand that people want to know peace. They want to have peace in their lives. You know that they walk around and they party and they revel and they're doing their fun thing and, they're, and all this social stuff. They're trying to find it through different things. But deep inside, they were created by the same creator that you and I were created by. And we just want peace. They lie awake at night staring at the ceiling, fearful. Do you know there are people right now that are literally terrified, terrified, 
about who's going to be the president of the United States. Isn't that horrible? What a prison to live in. What a bondage to be under. Let's find those folks and let's free them. Let's introduce them to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the president of the universe who's in charge of it all and give them hope and give them peace and give them truth. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God passes all understanding. In other words, what's in front of you, what you're seeing, but Brother Cordo, you don't understand. If blah, blah, blah wins, then we're going to be socialist and we're going to be in prison and we're not going to be able to do anything and they're going to take my TV set and I won't be able to fish when I want to and, and blah, 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 or whatever's going through people's minds. Nonsense. Stand and courageously proclaim the truth. Our message. And look what God did for Peter and John. See, the people that preserve, I'm going to veer off just a second here. I'm almost done. This is not related to today. I am not drawing a conclusion to today's environment. So just let me give you this example, but don't connect the two of them, okay? In Nazi Germany, when the Third Reich was taking power, there were people who knew the right message. They knew what was happening was bad and it was wrong. You see what I'm saying? I'm not equating this to today. Do not connect that bridge. I'm giving you an object example. But there were those who stood by complicitly. They were protecting their wealth. They were protecting what they had, and they didn't speak out. They didn't step up. They didn't proclaim the right message that what was happening was wrong. They were preserving themselves. Guess how long that lasted? See, they just, they just prolonged the inevitable. Peter and John refused to do that. They refused to stand by and allow the Sadducees to continue to do what they were doing because they actively, by the way, the Jewish leadership was actively looking to defy what these guys were doing and what they were saying. They were the mainstream media of that time. They were the ones who were trying to counter that and shut them up and shut them down and tell them, don't you go out there and preach that anymore. But they did anyway. They proclaimed the right message because they were, going to, they were just going to delay the inevitable if they didn't act. Colossians 3 and 15, and the let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which ye are, all, you are, are, excuse me, you also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful that the peace of God rule in your hearts. Do you know that you have to actively do this? You, in, this in this world today, if you go on autopilot and, and you just sort of operate under sort of just an autopilot format, you're not actively and purposely putting your mind on God that their message will penetrate, it will get to you, it will make you fearful, it will capture you, it will sneak up on you, and it will become part of your life and you don't even realize it. You have to understand that your radar has to be up all the time. You've got to let the peace of God rule in your hearts and in your minds. That means you have to actively think about that. Get up in the morning, get into your devotions and your prayer. God, protect my mind, protect my heart. Put on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, and so on and so on. You understand? Because if you go into autopilot mode and you walk out there naked, all of that stuff is coming at you. The fiery darts of the enemy, the message pumped into your brain, it will affect you. And we need to share our message. We're going to continue together to preach repentance, by the way. Acts 17 and 30 says in the times, and this is a refresher for you. 
You can take notes or you can go back and listen to the recording. Acts 17.30, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at. He's all done with that, the time of ignorance. Now you know, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. We can't get away from this idea. We've got to teach repentance. Jesus said that repentance and, and remission of sin should be preached in his name everywhere, always. We're not going to let go of repentance. There's a press on the world to get away from that topic, by the way. There's a press within modern Christianity to get away from that topic. It makes people feel uncomfortable. It assumes they're bad or they've done something wrong. Well, guess what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Luke 13 and 3, I tell you, nay, but except you repent. This is Jesus' words. Except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Acts 3 and 19, this was Peter as he was preaching out to them. And that second time I told you about, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the, the presence of the Lord. We, can we talk about sin? It's going to be politically incorrect. When we talk about people's sin, are we condemning them? Are we beating them down? No. We're telling them, hey, listen, I was there. See, sin reigned in my mortal body, and it wrecked everything. It made a mess. It hurt me. Sin wrecked things, and it hurts things, and it's hurting you too. And I just want to show you the escape that you can have from that. We're going to preach the apostolic Holy Ghost experience. Remember Mark 16, 17? These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall speak with new tongues. There's a whole lot of stuff out there about believing. That comfortable approach. Approach. Believe, believe, believe. We hear it all the time. Oh, it's significantly important to believe. But Jesus said that these signs will follow them that believe. They will speak in new tongues. In other words, they're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts 2 and 1, 1 through 4, remember the beginning of this chapter, this powerful chapter, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. That means they were unified. They were together in the message. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared upon them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were what? All filled with the Holy Ghost. It didn't wrap around them. It didn't cover over them. It wasn't a good feeling that just blew through the room. They were filled. It was inside them, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is our message, the message of the gospel. We're going to continue to preach the scriptural command to be baptized in Jesus' name. It's not just part of the club. It's not, hey, if you feel like it, every, once, every two years, uh, we're going to get a group of people together, and if you feel like it, jump in the water. No, it is a command in the word of God. It is what removes the sin from this old carcass. We come out of that water, and we are washed away. The sin is remitted. We're enacting the, excuse me, the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Back at Mark chapter 16, verse 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now in linguistics, you could put the subject and the predicate in both parts of that sentence so that we would read, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. You understand? It works in both ways. Acts chapter 22 and 16, and now why tarriest thou? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Why wait? Why delay? Why have a controversy over it? Because their message 
is a message of convenience, not necessary anymore. Acts chapter 10 and 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, then prayed they him to tarry certain days. This is Peter with Cornelius in the house of Cornelius. He commanded them to be baptized. Didn't sound very optional to me. Galatians 3 and 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Is anybody with me on this point? It seems kind of like an important thing. That if you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you've put him on. I'll tell you what, moving forward out into this world, out into what we have to do, the message that I get to carry out there, I want to be putting on Christ. Because I can't do it by myself. And I want to tell you that Peter and John had put Christ on before they stood before the Sadducees and condemned them for crucifying Jesus Christ and declaring the message, our message. I'm closing now, and you can stand with me. It doesn't just have to come from this pulpit, by the way, and I want to make that very, very clear. It's got to come from you, too. It's got to come in your home Bible studies. It's got to come in your testimonies. It's got to come through the doors that God will open for you. And trust me, listen to Pastor now. Listen to what I'm telling you. I'm speaking from personal experience. I have a conviction in my heart over this. But if you ask God, God, open the door. And give me the words. I want to tell you that literally hundreds of times of my time in the 40 years I've been in the church, I have prayed that prayer and God has opened those doors wide and opportunities I never thought I would have. He opened those doors and I want to tell you in the Holy Ghost, he gave me the words. If you do that today, if you get that inside you, if you say, I want to carry this message, I'm sick of their message, help me. Help me drown out the message from out there that's wrecking the people that need us. Help me drown it out by using our message. And if you ask God to open those doors, God, open a door for me. Just somebody. Let me help somebody. I promise you. I promise you if it's in your heart, he'll open that door. He'll give you the words. And I want to tell you something. When he does it, and you feel that Holy Ghost rise up in you, and somebody says, hey man, tell me about your church. Tell me about your experience. And all of a sudden you feel that Holy Ghost rising up. And you start talking about things that happened to you and testimony that happened to you. And you could feel that Holy Ghost just coming. And the excitement is there. And later on when you walk away from that situation, it's powerful. It's powerful to know that you've been used by God. And you go, wow, I want to do that again. And it builds on itself. And it builds on itself. God, open the door. Give me the words. Use me, Lord. Paul testified. Paul, the greatest apostle of the entire New Testament, in my opinion. Paul testified of exactly how he did it because Christ was with him and backed him. And that's how we can do it. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, let me encourage you with these words. It's awesome. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 17 says this. Powerful. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. 
You afraid to speak out? You afraid that this world's going to come down on you because you're a Christian? Is it going to be hard? Are they going to shame you? Are they going to mock you? Paul said, Jesus was with me and he delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. You see, the enemy is going about this world through your television set and your yard signs and your political movements like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. And he's devouring people right now with that stuff, wrecking people, living in terror over something as silly as who's going to be the president of the United States. Paul was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Verse 18, and the Lord, listen now, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Acts 18 and 9, again, talking about Paul, verse 9 says, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. And the Lord said to Paul, Be not afraid, but speak. And hold not thy peace. When God opens that door for you, and he will, don't hold your peace. Speak. Speak our message. Now is the time for our message. They can finish what they want to do in the courts and determine whatever they want to do and all that mess. You know that there was one Senate seat they spent $100 million on, and the person lost the seat. A hundred million dollars for one Senate seat. Yeah, how many people could have been fed with that? Do you know the work that could have been done to help people with that money? Nonsense. Don't hold your peace. Speak. Speak our message. This altar is open this morning. Come down and spend some time with God. Reach out to him. God, open the doors. Use me in your kingdom. Be fruitful. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you, God, for today. We appreciate you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for every precious soul that's in this place and those that are watching us from home, Lord God. I pray a special anointing upon every single one of them that have heard your word today. God, those that want to be effective for our world, those that don't want to be captured in bondage by the message of the enemy, by the message of all this mess that doesn't mean anything. God, put something in their hearts today, a desire to serve, a desire to speak out, a desire to drown out the enemy with your message, our message, the one that you've given us. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org. At